0: We have been studying over this past uh, number of months now, we've been in a series on Matthew 5 to 7 called Simple Faith. It's not that complicated, but it's hard. And it's all based on the Sermon on the Mount. And I just want to take a real quick moment for those of you maybe that just joined us. We're in the situation in the very first century. Our context of our story is going to be first century Israel. That's ancient Palestine. We're going to be up in the north part of Israel. We're near the Sea of Galilee. And what Jesus has done is after spending time in prayer, he has identified who the twelve followers, those that we call apostles or disciples, who these twelve followers are going to be. And on one of the occasions, he's up near the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and he sits down on the hillside and he calls his disciples, his followers, I want you to come over, and he begins to teach them. Now it's fascinating, in Matthew chapter 5, many people are familiar, they know the Beatitudes or they know of the Beatitudes, they know some of the prayer, we often will pray the prayer even at public events. Well, all of these little elements that we have learned or listened to or heard over the course of our life, we're connecting the thread on this particular series together today to look at what was Jesus speaking to these followers. So here's what I need you to get, particularly those that are, maybe you're just joining us. We're going to listen in on a conversation. We're going to listen over the shoulders of 12 of these young men, young adult men, some are married, some are single, and they want to know, what is the kingdom of heaven going to be like? They've been watching Jesus teach, and they're amazed at the authority this man has. So in their hearts and in their mind, they're going, so what is this kingdom really all about? What's it like? And he selects 12 of them, then he sits down, and it's like he's got his friends together, and he goes, all right, guys... Let's just cut to the chase. Take away all the fluff, everything else. Let's just talk about the kingdom. And in Matthew chapter 5, he lays out the expectations of the kingdom. The Beatitudes, that's what the citizens of the kingdom will look like. Then he moves into this other part of the expectations where he says, now, if you are going to be a citizen of this kingdom, you're going to be a follower of mine, then your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. And they're going, are you kidding? they're the religious elite. Then he summarizes the entire statement after he does these six statements, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Does this make sense for everybody else? You were with me for the last couple of months? Okay, good. Just checking. I want to make sure you're not a brand new crowd. Came in over Easter weekend and I lost everybody. Uh, So he used these statements from the Pharisees, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And he corrects the common misunderstandings or the misinterpretations. So people had been moving along, listening to the scribes, experts of the law, but a lot of the teaching was misinformed or misinterpreted teaching. So Jesus is correcting stuff. So chapter 5 has been about this great set of correction and anticipation, and he puts out the expectations of what the kingdom are. Well, then we jumped over just recently to chapter 6, and Jesus began to speak about the expressions, all right? The difference here, not the expectation, but now the expressions of righteousness. And he said, if you're truly a righteous person, you're going to express your righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean if you come to church and you're one of those individuals and when we're worshiping, you're a little more reticent to raise your hands, you're a little more conservative. That's not what he's speaking about. He's not saying that you have to become a fanatical and jump up and down, although you're welcome to do that occasionally if you'd like to. I know Pastor Duane would love that. But what he's talking about is what is the hard expression of your righteousness. And he goes after three pillars of righteousness. He talks about giving, particularly the alms, and dealing with those that are really in need. And he says, here's how you respond. Then he talked about praying. And we sort of wrapped that all in around last weekend between Good Friday and Sunday when he taught them how to pray, our Father who art in heaven. Well, this morning, he's going to talk about Fasting. Now, what's amazing to me is in the evangelical church community, this is one of the least talked about expressions of righteousness. Some some do, some don't. There's a lot of confusion around it. And as we've already been discovering, the religious leaders tended to abuse the practice that should have been something very intimate and personal with God. So we're going to look at that. I want you to get your Bibles. in now we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to get down to verse 16. And here's what Jesus says. And remember now, we're going to listen in. This is a very, very personal conversation. Talking to His 12 followers that are going to hang out with Him for another two years. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. Well, I tell you the truth. They have received the reward in full. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There is a connection that takes place over the last three expressions, both when it comes to the giving and it comes to the prayer and it comes to the fasting. Jesus says, whatever you do in secret... That is where the Father is going to reward you. All right, well, let's get our notes out this morning, and we're going to jump right in because I want to make sure that we have time to go through what we're going to share with you. There is an underlying principle that I want to leave with you this morning. Jesus never dismissed the importance of these activities. Whether we see them practiced, whether our families practice them, whether you're brand new to the faith and you haven't heard about them, Jesus never, ever, ever dismissed any of these practices. And so we're going to look at how he lays this all out. But he does warn his disciples about something. And this is the part that grips me every time. He goes, your expressions of righteousness can be hijacked and prostituted to the point where they're actually offensive to God. Now get that. What you intend to do as an expression to honor God, you have the capacity to actually pull that back into your world and it becomes offensive to God. And we see this throughout the Old Testament, particularly where God says to his people, what you're doing is an offense to me. And we wonder, and we scratch our head, and we go, how is that possible? Well, we've learned something about the human heart, that the human heart craves attention. And as we crave attention, it puts us at risk that we're going to perform for the wrong audience. And three times Jesus uses a word. He talks about the word hypocrite. Don't be like a hypocrite. And in the context of the Greek community, a hypocrite was an actor on a stage who would come out and play to the audience. And he said, when it comes to your righteousness, then don't play with your giving, don't play with your praying, and don't play with your fasting. Don't be an actor on the stage, and whatever you do, watch. So I thought, well, we got to listen carefully here because I have something... I have a feeling we're going to learn a lot about this together. So in your notes, I want you to fill in the first blank. And here's a couple of principles I want to leave with you. Here's the first thing. Jesus doesn't ban or abolish the practice of fasting. He doesn't ban it. He doesn't abolish it. He just comes along and He's going to tweak it. I want to go to the first verse. If we can go to verse 16 up on the screen. Here's what He said. And I've underlined it. Maybe if you highlight in your Bible, you might want to do that. Matthew uh, 6.16, he says, And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. So the twelve that are closest to him and the most intimate to him, in a moment of candid conversation, he says to his guys, Now guys, when you fast. So it becomes pretty clear that Jesus expects that those who are going to be followers within his kingdom are going to fast. Now, as we understand fasting, I want to give you a little bit of background. If you're going to take a few notes, uh, you can fill it out, and I've given you Scripture references, actually, in your outlines as well. A devout Jew or an observant Israelite was used to fasting. So, real quickly, without going too deep into their history, when it came to the Day of Atonement, there was a national fast. Everybody fasted for the Day of Atonement. That was an, uh, an expression of contrition, repentance, humility before God, so that happened. They also fasted, not only in the Day of Atonement, but there were fasts that were instituted as part of the return of the exile. They were called fasts of remembrance. This is when Israel was dispersed from the land. You remember when under the divided kingdom God sent them out under punishment and uh, Israel uh, to the north and then to the south. Judah eventually was gone as well. And there was a fast of remembrance. And I have one in the notes. I'll put it up on the screen. This comes out of Ezra. And this is quite interesting. It's found in Ezra 8, 21 and 23. Here's what it says. There by the Ahava Canal I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and for our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king... Let's go to the next slide, please. The gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to Him... But his great anger is against all who forsake him. I love Ezra's honesty. Did you pick this up? He tells the king, don't worry about it. God's got my back. Then he goes to the people, pray. Whatever you do, pray. And he says, we're going to fast. And here's what he does. He goes, so we fasted and we petitioned our God about this. And he answered our prayer. I love that. So here you got Israel, these Israelites that are learning. When you call to God, God hears. And if you're humble and dependent upon Him, so they have this Day of Atonement fast. They have the Israelite, the, the Exile Remembrance fast. The other thing they used to do, and uh, this we probably all do this, maybe not quite to the same degree. Has anybody in this room ever been in a crisis? Yeah, all over. Everybody. We've been there. Have you ever in a moment gone, oh God, I need help? Yeah. We've all been there. We've had one of those moments, and I know those of you in the other venues, you're the same place. You're going, oh God, I need help. Now, I dare say the majority of us have never followed that up with a fast. I don't know for sure, but what I do know from my experience with talking with people and from counseling and working through this is often we are better at telling God how to help us in the moment than we are at humbling ourselves before the presence of God and saying, now I'm ready for you to speak to me. But if you look back into Israel's history, you'll find what happened when Queen Esther needed to go in before the king. She said to Mordecai, you call everybody to fast. They were going to be wiped out. They were going to be eliminated. And she says, oh God, help me. And we're going to fast so that God understands. Then it was also with Jehoshaphat when he was facing the enemies of Moab and they were sure that extinction or or some form of severe punishment was going to be inflicted upon him. He called the people to fast. So just from a very high level, here's what I want you to know. Jesus didn't abolish or ban fasting. A devout Jew or a, a real strict Israelite would have observed many, many regular fasts. And so people begin to wonder, how does Jesus unpack this? Well, there was a little moment, it's there in your notes as well, when some of John's disciples came up to Jesus' disciples, and they said, okay, how is it that we're fasting and you're not? So I'm going to take you to the screen, and you can see this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 and 15. So John's disciples came to him, came up to Jesus and said, how is it, Jesus, that we and the Pharisees are fasting, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, Well, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he he is with them? That to me says you have permission to eat Easter dinner when all your guests are there. So that's my interpretation. Then Jesus said this, The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So again, pick this up. Jesus had layered out there for these 12 followers, Fasting is something you have done, and fasting is something that you will do. And for those that have maybe been raised in traditions or maybe your understanding is, do we still fast today? Jesus was pretty clear. He didn't ban. He didn't abolish fasting. Very, very important. One other thing, side note. Those of you that are in community life groups together, and I I strongly encourage everybody who's part of our church to do that because we get in and we talk about Scripture together. I want you, can you go back, um, guys, can you go back to that last slide for me real quick? Do you see the phrase, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them? and then they will fast. It's like Jesus just grabbed the curtains to the future and pulled them back. And anybody listening would have picked up on him saying, my kingdom is an enduring kingdom. And what's going to happen in the next two years, if you remember my words, he makes a very prophetic statement. His disciples will exist after his departure. So his kingdom was already being seated in. Isn't it cool? How Scripture has this assurance that even in the middle of teaching, he layers out for his disciples, Hey, my kingdom's gonna prevail, you guys. Gates of hell will not, will not tear it down. So that's what Jesus does. So in the fast as we're looking at it for followers of the kingdom. Now, some of you, I know you're feeling a little uncomfortable because we're headed to lunchtime and I'm talking about fasting and you're worried about life application before we leave. Well, we'll fix that before we get out of here. Let's go to point number two. In your notes, here's what we do know about Jesus. Jesus condemns the abuse that is commonly associated with private fasting. He condemns the abuse that was commonly associated with private fasting. Here's what I want you to see. Why would Jesus speak to his disciples and say, hey, when it comes to this whole fasting, I don't want you to do what the Pharisees have done. In fact, why don't I put it on the screen? Matthew 6, 16, it says this, and I've underlined a different section. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. Was Jesus, here's your question, was Jesus criticizing fasting? No. Here's what it was. There were national fasts that Jesus fully expected everybody to participate in. What's interesting in Matthew 5 to 7 is He's dealing with our hearts, our individual life. What He is condemning and dealing with is the act of private fasting. So He condemns the abuse that's commonly associated with the fast that people would do privately. So beyond the national fast, if you set aside a day and you said, you know, you're in a crisis mode... And you go, God, I need your help. And you decide to fast. Now, some of you may have done this, and I've done this. So you decide to fast. What he was going after is if we become a hypocrite, if we start to play act what we're doing, well, how do we do that? Well, you know, when you're fasting and you get halfway through the day or you're fasting a meal and your stomach is growling a little bit and people go, are you okay? Well, you know, I'm just fasting for the Lord today. And you get that little squeamish or that real crippled up look on your face you pretty well blew everything you were trying to do right there. That's what he comes against. Because he said, now you're doing what the hypocrites do. Well, why is that in Scripture? Again, maybe take a couple of notes here. The hypocrites, the Pharisees, let's go right to them. The Pharisees fasted on Thursdays and on Mondays. So they had two days of fasting in addition to all the other fasts. Why those two days? According to their tradition, Thursday is the day that Moses went up Mount Sinai. So they fasted that day. It was the receiving of the law. Monday, according to tradition, was the day they came down from Mount Sinai. So they fasted that day. So they took a private fast. This wasn't for the public. They took a private fast, but when they fasted, they would distort their faces and they wanted everybody to know that they were fasting. So they were doing all of the externals so that people could applaud them and say, Isn't that awesome? Look at you guys go. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He struggles with those that abuse fasting. And he goes, don't do that. Now, we can equally abuse a public fast. I just want to put that out there. I'm speaking privately first. But Israel even had a situation where they abused a the public fast. And I'm going to put the words on the screen. It's found in Isaiah chapter 58, 3 to 5. And I think it has it there in your notes. But Jesus, or uh, the prophet Isaiah, speaking to the issue of Israel, he speaks about this and he says, "'Here you are saying, why have we fasted? "'They say you have not seen it, and we have humbled ourselves, "'and you have not noticed.'" goes on to say this, "'Yet on the day of your fasting,' God says, "'you do as you please and exploit all your workers. "'Your fasting ends in quarreling strife "'and in striking each other with wicked fists. "'You cannot fast as you do today "'and expect your voice to be heard on high.'" Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen only for a day for a man to humble himself? Is it not for the bowing of one... Oh, sorry. Is it for only the bowing of one head like a reed and lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So Israel, in even their public expressions, had found a way to violate the fast. Because God says, if fasting is about contrition and humility and confession then you can't live differently with other people and then come into my presence and say, I'm going to deny myself food. I'm going to get your attention, Lord. See, the Lord looks at the heart. And this goes back to Matthew 5 to 7. He's always examining the heart and the attitude behind it. It's not the act. It's always the attitude. What are we doing with how we're living in expression of our righteousness? So even a public fast could be violated, but the bottom line, going back to Matthew chapter 6 now, Jesus was condemning what was happening with the private fasting. Matthew 6.16, it's in your notes. Here's what He said to the disciples. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Whatever they intended or had hoped they would get from God. God says, you got the accolades of men. That's all you're going to get. Isn't it interesting how when it comes to our righteousness and our expressions of righteousness... We sometimes play for the wrong audience. Have you ever seen a hypocrite? You don't have to point him out in the room, by the way. We don't have to do that today. But we have. I remember, and I'm just going to share a couple of situations here, just to point out how easy this is. You know, in case we don't think this happens, in the early church, so this is just shortly after the, uh, after Jesus is gone and the writing of the letters to the church in the New Testament, as we know it now has been completed, the writings are all there, there was a common writing that was circulated among the church and it was called the Didache, or Didache and it was used by new Christians. It was basically a handbook for new Christians. And there's something even in the writing here that is fascinating. I just want to read it for you. Here's what they said to the new followers of Jesus in the early parts of the century. But let not your fasts be with the hypocrites for they fast on the second and the fifth day of the week. Now watch this. Rather... Fast on the fourth and the preparation day. So they took two days where the Pharisees fasted, and they said, don't fast with the Pharisees because then you're going to get caught up with them. Take these two days and fast. Now, was there anything wrong with that? Not at all. But we can easily slip into the same type of hypocrisy if we're not careful. They were exhorting the followers of Jesus, make sure you still fast. But if we're not careful, it happens. Here's how I see it happen. Many of you, when you're first saved, and and I remember this in school, being a follower of Jesus, they would encourage you to publicly express that you are a believer of Jesus. One of the ways you could do that is you would carry a Bible. Anybody ever do that? You don't have to confess if that was a painful memory. So if you're a a child or a, a young adult or a student carrying a Bible to school, that's one of those ones where it's like I'm just inviting myself to be persecuted right now, right here. So, as the the believers and the Christians, and I can remember one of the the church groups, the Bible groups at the school, it wasn't just about the Bible, it became about how big your Bible was. See, if you were really a good Christian, if you came, I used to love the Gideons, they gave the small Bibles. I felt quite comfortable, they fit in. I could get it right underneath my hand, go to school, and go, I'm a believer. See, right in here, right here. But the other ones would amp up the activity, and they would bring bigger and bigger Bibles. And the rationale behind it was, who are you doing that for? It's interesting when Jesus speaks to us about being salt and light. He doesn't call us to the externals. He calls us to the heart expression. Be very careful. I'll give just another little illustration here on the side. We were pastoring in a church. And uh, you know, one of the things that I, I believe that we should dress in modesty, I believe that we should honor the Lord, do the best that we can, but I don't think there should ever be a status level associated with clothing. In one of the churches that we were pastoring, it was very rigid about how you dressed and how you looked. And there was a particular lady, and it was her goal in life to figure out what brand name of suit I was wearing on a Sunday. And it's not hard to hide Sears. I mean, really, seriously. But uh, she made it her goal to come up. And she would often come up and try to guess. And if I had a brand new suit on, she'd walk up and she'd go, hey, is that a... And she'd rhyme off a brand name. And I'd go, you know, I don't think the Lord really cares about Hugo Boss or Harry Rosen. I think He just cares that I'm here to worship. And that's what it's about. But I know that happens. And I know that people sometimes come in and they feel like how we dress becomes more about our righteousness than where our hearts are. Not this church. You guys are great. So we never have that problem here. But it happens. It does happen. So we have to watch the externals and make sure that whatever we do, that our hearts... According to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2.15, we are the aroma of Christ to those who are being saved and those who are perishing. It's not about our externals. So Jesus warns, he said, when you fast, don't put a show on for other people. Do what you do for God. Let's go to the next point in your notes. Third point is this. Jesus exposes the hidden dangers when fasting with improper motives. He exposes the hidden dangers when you're fasting with improper motives. So if you go back into your notes, you maybe just want to write it down. You go, so why did the Israelites fast? And why do we fast? Well, very simply, never lose the reason for fasting. We know that fasting, so let's go back through why they did it. Fasting is sometimes an expression of sorrow and contrition and repentance to God. So the Day of Atonement is a recognition. God, what you have done for us in purchasing our redemption, we could never do. So they set aside a time of fasting. Fasting is to deny yourself. It doesn't just have to be food, by the way. You can fast all kinds of different activities. But fasting is a setting yourself apart, a denying yourself of something, and typically in this situation it was food, to say, I want to focus and concentrate. I want to bring my my body into subjection to my obedience and my love for God. So they would do that. Sometimes it was for that, that type of an expression. We also know that it was for intercession. We fast for intercession. But go to your notes and look at Matthew 6:16. 6, here's what it says. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, and here's the line, they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. Jesus reveals the very motive right there. Here's the danger. So much of what we do is really done to show men. And he says be careful. That's not my kingdom. My kingdom isn't about how you display yourself. It's not about whether you have a bumper sticker or the little fish logo on the back. It's not about whether you have a cross hanging in your house. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But my kingdom isn't what you do to show others to gain their approval. My kingdom is what's happened in your heart. Has it changed you? And is there pure humility before you and the Father? It shouldn't matter. One of the things I love about worshiping in our church... There's just a freedom. If you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. you want to stand in quiet reflection, stand in quiet reflection. You're not worshiping to the purpose of the individual next to you. You're worshiping to honor your Father who's in heaven. You're worshiping to glorify Him. So whether you're giving or whether you're praying or whether you're fasting, Jesus says, those pillars of righteousness, let them be done with the proper motives. So he exposes there's these dangers that we have to navigate through. Write it down. Jeremiah 17, 9, it says this, that the heart is deceitful above all things. It is wicked beyond cure. Who can understand the human heart? And the human heart craves this attention so much so that it can hijack. I said that earlier. It'll hijack and it'll distort the best of our intentions. And I've got to be honest with you. It happens to me. Because you can be worshiping, and all of a sudden you go, okay, now who are you worshiping for right now? Am I, am I worshiping so that everybody else goes, hey, look at that, Doug's got his hands up, so everybody else get your hands up. Some of you go, well, we don't care if you do have your hands up. But am I doing that for this room? And there's moments where I just let the Holy Spirit go, okay, just remind me, why am I in this room today? What am I here to do? And as this morning, as we were just worshiping out, there's such a freedom. And, and my heart's desire is for every one of us. That when we come together, that every one of us would have such a freedom in our worship, not in the expression, in our worship, that how we express it wouldn't be for anybody else in the room, wouldn't be for anybody else in our homes. It would be done so that our Father. That's why I love being a follower of Jesus, because I can worship in the room, I can worship in my car, I can worship on the street, I can worship when I'm shopping. And it's not about my externals, it's the heart. So he he exposes these hidden dangers. He even spoke to it a little bit later. Let's go to Matthew chapter 23. He talks about the showmanship that came with it. Here's what it says. Everything they do is done for men to see. These are the woes to the Pharisees now. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. They were playing to the audience for which they desired the attention. And Jesus said, when you play that game, you get all that you plan for. And you're not going to get anything that the Father had really purposed in His heart for you. Seeking the approval of man or the applause of man, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get an empty spiritual life. You're going to have a life that's going to be tossed around And you're going to constantly be going, I need the next wave of approval from man to feel like my spiritual life is vibrant. But when you're not playing to the audience of man and when your motives are to God, then you're not moved by emotion. You're not moved by externals. You're going to be moved by the mere fact that your Father who sees your heart knows where you are. And you can be honest. You can go through the most difficult weekend and you can just raise your eyes or your voice to heaven and you go, God, I think I'm mad at you today. And God doesn't get upset with you about that because He's bigger than you are. Or you can just say, God, I just don't even even know how to tell you I love you today. But none of that is impacting anybody else because it's coming out of the pureness of your heart. Well, let's go back to our notes. What does Jesus really commend then? Number four, Jesus insists that sincere fasting is to be practiced secretly. That's what it is to be sincere. This is the context of a conversation. He's talking to 12 of his closest followers. He wants these guys to understand something. Whatever you do, drive this into your heart. Drive this into the interior recesses where only you and God are connected together. That's what the purity of it is. There was that one time, you remember they were walking through the field and they were picking the heads of grain and people got all upset with them because they were eating and they weren't supposed to be working on the Sabbath and the food that they're taking. I mean, people get so bent out of shape about all kinds of stuff. I think that's what ruins Christianity for us. But the purity of what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 5 to 7 is where we need to come back to. And He insists that if we're going to fast, and just be sincere and just be secret. You don't have to let other people know. So Matthew uh, f- uh, chapter 6, 17 to 18, here's on the screen. Let me show you. He said, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Well, let me just stop here for a little teaching moment. Some people have taught that the reference here for the oil was like the pouring of the oil for the priest or the anointing oil that would run down over the hair. And so people would see, you'd be walking through the marketplace and it looked like, you know, you just greased out your hair. And they go, oh, they must be fasting today. That's not what this refers to. And I'll come to it in just a moment. He said, so put oil on your head, wash your face, so it will not be obvious to the men that you are fast, only to your father who is unseen. So when he was referring to these two actions, this is really proper hygiene and body care. They would apply a little bit of oil and they would wash their face accordingly. They would do everything so that they would look normal. So in the normal course of your hygiene… so in our world today, what is Jesus saying to us? Well, take a shower, brush your teeth, wash your face, put on a little bit of deodorant and go to work. That's what He's telling us to do. And when you're at work, don't complain about how hungry you are. When it gets lunchtime, don't look at the other guy's meal and go, oh, if only I could have your meal today. Because you're pretty well blue. You're fasting, right? But he goes, when you fast, do it secretly and sincerely. Work with all your heart. What does it say in the Scripture? Do all that you do to the glory of God. Everything. Work at it so nobody even knows that you're on a prolonged fast. And when you are on a fast, even if there's a moment of awkwardness, you can easily just dismiss the moment. I've been there. I was on an extended fast one time, and these uh, business leaders had invited me out for lunch. Of course, I'm on a fast. Let's go for lunch at a nice restaurant. So now I'm torn. I'm thinking, can you break a fast? Is it okay to say to God, can we put it on pause and come back at 2.30? Is that okay? So I'm sitting in my office actually thinking that, you know, can you negotiate with the Lord? And of course, that loses the spirit of the fast. And I thought, no, there's a way to handle that. And I'll tell you next week when you come back because I'm not here. I'm in Israel. So there you go. (laughs) No, there's a way to handle that. And so just very discreetly, uh, when I got there for the lunch, I said, hey, gentlemen, I've already taken care of my needs for the day, but I wanted to be with you for the meal. So don't mind me. I'm just going to have a little bit of water and uh, we'll just go on with business. And then I'll get back to my life a little bit later. I didn't have to tell them I was fasting for the day. I didn't have to lie to them that I I just said, I've already taken care of my needs for the day. And I'm just glad to be able to join you. for. The they just moved right over. Nobody made any comments. And I just blew my fast because I told you all about it now. So it's no good anymore. <laughs> that was a number of years ago. So I'm, I'm safe. But that's how we can walk this through. Because here's what God is looking for. He just wants your heart. That's all He wants. And He wants that undivided loyalty and attention that comes. And when you do what Jesus calls us to, we have this wonderful relationship. If I could stress anything to all of us today, the three pillars of righteousness that need to be done with simplicity, secrecy, and sincerity. Simplicity, secrecy, and sincerity. That's all we need to do when it comes to that. And I would exhort all of us, if there's anybody that should act normal, it should be the followers of Jesus. And I would long for the day that we redefine the word abnormal that we would be what is viewed as normal in this world and that we don't live on the externals of our life. And it's not that, there's, that everything is wrong with some of those things, but what I'm driving at is that our whole heart desire and our private, intimate relationship with God would be pure and unadulterated. We would never prostitute it. So whether you're giving, whether you're praying, or whether you're fasting, let's do it the right way. And let's honor God because it says, then He will reward you. And you will get the greatest reward of all because that's what He's waiting for. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, this morning, I just pray that the truth of Your Word wouldn't slip out of our hearts. I think all of us could confess to You that we have moments where we're playing into the wrong audience and on the stage of human life, we succumb to the applause of man. And so before You today, we just confess that our heart desire. Our heart desire is like those early followers of you. We want to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to pursue you with sincerity and with simplicity in our heart and even secretly in those activities and expressions we engage in. And we want your smile of approval to be the only thing that we find our joy in. So would you help us to do that and keep our eyes fixed upon you, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.